just going to stare at you. You have to talk. That's uh, what a podcast we'll get is. get to it. Don't okay. force it. It has oh, to be organic. Cage-free, farm-fresh words, bitch. Sorry, I'm doing this whole, like, GMO thing over here. Are you? I can read, you can read, we can read. We're reading together. I married you, you married me. We got married, yeah, we married each other. Now we're reading books, talking in mics, discussing stuff with one another. We're a, a couple's book club. Hey, guys. Greetings. Salutations. Welcome to Couples Book Club. I'm Lauren. I'm joined by Isaac. We are, um, you know, like you hold up in our home because of the disease ravaging our world. Sure, sure. I'm not just talking about Donald Trump, am I right? Oh, oh too soon, too soon. <laughs> oh, topical. Trying to get all political now. Oh, sorry. This has always been an apolitical podcast. It's like Switzerland for the ear. You know what? I don't think that it is neutral to hide Nazi gold. They hide everyone's gold. Okay, but hiding Nazi gold? They're equal opportunity gold hiders. Mm, mm, fuck off, Switzerland. It's, it's rough. Capital is burn. Ricola. <laughs> it's mighty ass shit. That's the, the national anthem of Switzerland. <laughs> Alpenhorn, national animal. Oh. Yep. Fun. They don't even have like regular animals there. They just have... Helping horns. They also don't have cars. They just ski everywhere. Yep. Well, it's like it's like uh, it's like a dog sled, but it's pulled by wild alpine horns. That's hardcore, bro. I know. Hardcore. Yep. Well, Switzerland's a strange place. I mean, we just found out. I didn't know that stuff about national bird cheese. Okay, that I could get into. The whole Nazi gold hiding. Not into it. Yeah, but cheese, cheese birds. bird. Yeah. Come on. I do love cheese. Uh, we we do have like a, a three-pound bag of, of shredded cheddar, so we're going to be fine. Shred shed. We're going to be fine, guys, as we get through this. Um, about a week or so ago, I finally finished this book that Isaac finished months and months ago. Probably in like late, later December. It was before we went out of town for... Yeah, Christmas it was stuff, pre-Christmas. So it's probably it pre-Christmas. three months, yeah. So for this episode, we read Mind Hunter Inside the FBI's Elite Serial Crime Unit by John Douglas and Mark Olshaker. Um, and it is the book that the Netflix series Mind Hunter is based on. Yeah. But like, it's not like... The guy, it's not like John Douglas is the main character of that show. It's more um, based on kind of like how things played out with with fictional characters inserted. Mm-hmm. Inserted. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this is probably the latest we've ever recorded. Starting. It's like 11.45 p.m. Yeah. I'm a little tipsy. A little hyped. Isaac's has it, yeah, Isaac's uh, Mildly to moderately some, hyped. Some caffeine, which is why he's not asleep on the couch. I normally is at this time. take exception to that comment. It is factually accurate. You're usually asleep 
or going to bed. Fake news. God, I wish we could get divorced, but I don't have anywhere else to live during this quarantine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're sort of fucking trapped. Backed into a corner here. Trapped. It's tough for you. Um. Yeah. So Isaac doesn't really remember this book. I read some of it back in like December. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a learning experience for all of us. And, um, we're going to, we're going to chat about it, which is what this podcast is. Hey, if you've never listened to this podcast before, first of all, the fuck have you been doing? Right. Wasting your life. This comes out. Although, I mean, we all are. Four to, one form four or to seven times a year. Yeah, it is, uh, it is irregular. It is. <laughs> Like my period in my early 20s. It's like uh, like discount pants at an outlet or something. <laughs> I-R-R. I love when that comes up in a crossword puzzle. It, like the abbreviation? Yeah. It's like a zombie. I just did a shot right before we started recording. So things are good. Yeah. No, things are good. I'm also on a lot of antihistamines. Operating at peak capacity right now. My allergies are bad, which is not good for a time the of health are crisis. Like exactly the same as other things. Yeah. It's like, why can't I breathe? I don't know. I'll try and use my asthma inhaler. Or I'll take, you know, some Sudafed. And then those things work. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's, I guess it's not coronavirus. Do we have any, do we have any important updates? To give the kids before we, we updates. Dive in? I don't know. Just like I don't know. It's been a few months. I don't know. I don't know. In the time we've been gone, I found out I had and then had uh, a kidney stone surgically removed. So oh, that's, that's true. That's another reason why. It's a health update. Not just me not reading the book, but also like it just like was not going to happen there for a while. Yeah, Isaac had a bit of a health, a minor health crisis. Yeah, that was that was good times. I'm glad it is not happening now. Yeah, no, I would fucked. I would not want to be in the hospital right now. Well, they probably wouldn't do it. Yeah. But they they might have been willing to do the like radio wave, like trying to break it up thing, but I still yeah. would not want to have to be like in a hospital right now yeah. for anything. Yeah. So But shout out to uh Regent Hospital in downtown St. Paul. Everybody there is great. Yeah, that We've place was there. clutch. That was that was a posi- positive as positive an experience as that could be. <laughs> We've gone there a few times to the ER. Everyone was very nice. Late at night. Yep. And then also when Isaac had to stay over that second time and get a surgery. Yep. Keep sending us bills, though, because the American healthcare system, I don't know if you guys knew this, but it's not, like, good. Yeah, there are some, there's some, some kinks that need to be worked out. You're just going to keep getting bills. In, like, a three months, you're just going to get another bill that's for, like, every pair of gloves that was used on you yep because they yeah that's how they do it that's why we're out of them now because they used them all on me fuck off apparently why did you why did you do that to america Isaac? i'm disgusting people need protection <laughs> like hand condoms i mean that's what they are yeah uh, but i mean i hope <laughs> i hope nothing comes out of your fingers i mean there was some there was some dick stuff happening, so it was n- none of it was pleasant. No. Poor Isaac. Wah wah. Wah wah wah.
Okay, I guess we could talk about this book. Yes. That we both read. Allegedly. So, basically, John Douglas, he kind of tells us his background, life story, and how he got into the FBI and basically helped shape the science, I guess, of criminal profiling. Uh, The first thing you need to know about John Douglas is that he um, is a white man who was uh, born in the, I think, early 1940s. He's an old white guy with old white guy ideas and feelings about things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yes, exactly, precisely. I mean, he's younger than your dad, but. Yeah, well, I mean, most, most living people are. (laughs) True. He's very old. He's old. So old. Yeah, I guess we could just jump into it. I've got notes. I don't remember what any of this stuff is, so. Okay. Well, you can tell me and I can look. Yeah. I have something on page three. I've got I've got stuff on page one. Oh, okay. Starting at the beginning. All right. This is in the prologue. Yeah. My note just says, attention grabber, colon, penis. Uh-uh. Because I think it, like, cold drops you into, like, when he had... Do you have, like, encephalitis or something? Yes. Or some some brain thing? Yes. He collapsed uh. while he was in Seattle. But he was having these, like, horrible, like, nightmares, night terror things where he... Um, uh, well, because he was forcing himself to continue working on cases in his sleep. Doesn't Which is, like, stop. that's not... No, doesn't that's not healthy. You can't do that. Yeah, no, it starts in a, a description of like It's like shooting shooting dick pains. His body being chopped up and all his orifices being penetrated. Yeah. Um that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Just saying it got my attention early on sure. to approach it that way. Like okay, sure. okay, okay, okay. See I see where you're going with this potentially. Page three, I just, you know, just a fun little aside here. He's talking about how for a while he was the only like full time like profiler working. Yeah. And so he'd be called out all over the country and stuff to consult on things. And he was teaching and shit. Um, and which is part of what led to him um, having this collapse. Uh, but it says, my associates at Quantico often said I was like a male whore. Couldn't say no to my clients. Uh, good times, good times. Keeping it classy. Male whore. This is also written in the 90s. Yeah, 1890s. That's how antiquated it is. Is it? Parts of it, yep. Okay. So he's riding around in his velocipede, etc. <laughs> it's like a centipede, but faster. Bigger wheels. What? It's a thing. <laughs> Velocipedes are a thing. Yeah, I know. I was just trying to imagine how many wheels... There's really fast centipedes. A centipede would need. A lot. Like each... You need a pedal for every, pedal every for leg. Every foot? I just yeah. feel like that's unnecessary. Just like a pedal pub, but for a centipede. Jesus Christ, those things. Yep. Scourge. Maybe, maybe one thing that... Uh, well, you know... For, for it might be one th- good thing that comes out of this. First they came for the pedal pubs. <laughs> and I said nothing because I was not a pedal pub. Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> I think 11 was my next one. Okay. 
I just have it marked as, marked as Pam's burden because it's all about like how his wife has to do like basically everything because he's out there like fighting crime. Mm. So she's the one who's like responsible for all the family stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, which I think is not atypical in like serious law enforcement careers, but sure. it's still shitty. Yeah. It's like you just do you do all that stuff. I'm going to go burn myself out doing crime, anti-crime. Yeah. Uh, like reverse crimes. Yes. It's like un- it's undoing crimes. Yes. Yep. I understand. That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah, they have a couple daughters and he was not there. Yep. It's like Ghost Dad. The movie Ghost Dad. <laughs> Pretty much. He's a ghost from the movie Ghost. Yeah. So he's, you know, off off doing his thing. And Pam keeping keeping the home fires burning. Sure. Etc. So many fires. Um, on page twenty eight, um, so he was talking about his childhood and he so I assume he was a, a relatively smart kid but was kinda lazy. And so he would just like not read the book but sure. then like get up and give a report and just like improv it. Sure. You know, make people laugh and shit. And so um, the lesson he learned from that on 28 is, uh, uh, but I learned from it that if you can sell people your ideas and keep them interested, you can often get them to go along with you. So just like psychopath shit. Yeah. I, I, I do think that in order to be able to work well with psychopaths like he does, he, he does demonstrate some um, similar personality traits. Yeah. To the to the ch- charming psychopath type, you could see it. Some of the stuff I marked, and I'm just not sure of the context anymore, and I'm not going to find out. It's a really it's a really good podcast right now. So good. Uh, don't worry, I'll cut most of this out. Um. So he's kind of a douche. Kind of. Yeah. He's a douche. Yeah. He goes to college in Montana. Does a lot of fun drunk driving, etc. Sure. Like you do. Like you do. Um, then he joins the Marines, right? Is that? Sure. I don't remember. Air Force. He joins the Air Force. But then there's this story about when he was in the Air Force, he had this friend and he lent his friend his, no, his friend lent him his car. Our man, John, flew home for Christmas this year. Um... And was met with the news that um, he had left his car with a friend of his mm-hmm. um, who had gotten real drunk at a Christmas party. And then some people had carried him out to the car, the VW that belonged to John. And when he woke up, he tried to drive. And it was like snowing and shit. And he hit a car head on. And on 44, he says, this haunted me. We are very close. And I was plagued by the thought that this might not have happened if he hadn't lent me the good car. Because they switched cars or something. Okay. This. And I just think, sir, this had, this wouldn't have happened if your friend didn't drive drunk. Right, right. I don't like, know that the car would have made that much of a difference. but If he had a better car, he might have hit that woman and her ki- her kids that he hit. Yeah. I think you've learned the wrong lesson here, John. 
I don't know if he's great at learning like the actual lesson. Um, on 48, um, he talks about he had just learned, he had just learned, he had just joined the FBI and he's talking about how they were all white men because it was 1970. Sure. Um, uh, we were indoctrinated to be on the lookout for Soviet agents who would try to compromise us and get our secrets. These agents could be anywhere. We were told particularly to beware of women. That honey trap, bro. Mm -hmm. Delicious and sticky. Stingy. Stingy? Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's bees. bees. Yeah. Sure, but also sticky. Sex bees. Stingy, sting your wiener. You don't want that, man. It hurts. Probably, I assume. No, that sounds uncomfortable. Not had that personal experience, but I think this is in his early FBI days. One of their tasks was like to hunt down like AWOL soldiers mm. or something. Uh huh. Some of whom weren't even actually like AWOL. Like they had just been like discharged, but uh, they like had it in the records wrong or whatever. Yes. But the punishment if they're like AWOL is they just like get them and arrest them and then like immediately send them to Vietnam. Which I thought was, you know, kind of fucked up. Pretty fucked up, yeah. Because uh, you know, I feel like if there's a if there's a war that you could justify like actively trying to get away from, it's probably Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they wouldn't like, I don't know, recognize people as conscientious objectors or whatever. Well, I suppose if you're already in the military, yeah, you've probably been through that process and they rejected it. But well, and the uh, thing that he said happened was that like people would go a wall, but then they'd like go back or get turned in and then they'd go to Vietnam and they'd come home but they'd still be on the FBI's list of AWOL people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they'd be like, fuck you, I just did my tour. Right, like, right, right. So quality quality records keeping. Doing a great job, America. Good at war. Sometimes. Oh, fuck. So, yes. So he starts talking about what a fucking prankster he is and how funny he is. But really, he's just revealing himself to be a douchebag. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. And um, so on his fucking wedding day, he has his best man call Pam, his fiance, at her mother's house and ask if she'd seen him. And uh, so Bob pretended that he was afraid he was getting cold feet. And just to freak her out sure. or whatever. And then like, let's see. Look, this is on 76. Looking back on it, I can't believe how perverse my sense of humor was. Eventually, Bob started laughing and gave us away. But I was a little disappointed not to have gotten more of a reaction out of her. Yeah, I don't know if that's a straight up deal breaker. But I suppose by that point, she probably knows what she's getting herself into. But it's still kind of a dick move. Real dick move. Real dick move. It's the wedding day. Yeah. The fuck off, bro. It's high stress enough. You don't need to be adding stuff to that situation, but that's how John Douglas do. Um, on 97, he's talking about, I can't quite remember exactly what this was, but he was helping teach some kind of behavioral science thing, I think at Quantico and they would have um, various law enforcement from across the U S and from around the world. Um, 
and it sounds like it was like a douchey kind of frat boy atmosphere. Sure. And so he talks about, um, oh, just the American dudes would um, fuck with like the foreign guys who came over and like try to teach them swears and stuff. Okay. And there's this one thing about um, they were teaching people that uh, fuck means all these things that it doesn't mean. So 97 says there's a Japanese police officer who had dutifully asked one of the other cops the protocol for greeting instructors one holds in high regard. So every time I saw him in the hallway, he would smile, bow respectfully and greet me with fuck you, Mr. Douglas. Rather than getting all complicated, I'd bow back, smile and say, fuck you, too. Aw. Boys will be. Uh, my next thing was on 99 which I barely remember what any of these notes are. But uh, I have it written down as jokey sex crimes class. So I think there was some, like, class they were teaching. uh, And, Mm -hmm. like, clearly the instructor was not taking it seriously, even though it's talking about, you know, sex crimes. Mm -hmm. And something that should be, you know, taken very seriously. But it's just, like, this blow-off class that they have to do as, like, a hoop to jump through. But just Mm -hmm. no one is, like, I don't know seeing it as important or something worth uh and it's just like making fun of people's weird like pseudo weird perversions or whatever yeah as i recall it yeah Uh, he says depending on who was teaching sex crimes it was taken with greater or lesser seriousness one of the instructors set the tone with a dirty old man doll dressed in a raincoat when you push down on the head the raincoat flashed open and a penis popped up Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, so that's a great atmosphere. Uh, so he makes the claim that uh, Manson didn't plan the murders, mm. uh, which I I think now that I think about it a little bit more, I guess you could semi-plausibly make a claim for, but I remember it sort of like sticking out to me at the time mm-hmm. uh, that I guess depending what he means by that, because I feel like it was not particularly long analysis where he brings up that point yes so on 121 he talks about manson being he would have been excellent in the behavioral sciences unit assessing an individual's psychological strengths and weaknesses and strategizing how to get a killer we were hunting so he recognizes how good manson was at manipulating people yeah um but yeah on 123, he says, um, even if Manson were released, had ever been released, obviously he was still alive back then, but I wouldn't expect him to kill. The biggest threat would be from the misguided losers who would gravitate to him and proclaim him their god and leader. Which is like, um, I think he had more culpability than that. Well, and just like the idea that he didn't plan the murders, I think is disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Because, like, he specifically sent people out in the case of the Tate murders to kill. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think there's a good chance that he went there sort of after the fact to help stage or clean up the scene. Mm-hmm. And then he actively went out on the La Bianca night mm-hmm. and tied people up, did not directly kill people. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's not like it wasn't planned that people were going to die that night. Maybe he didn't choreograph everything exactly. Yeah. But to say that it was like spontaneous or whatever is, I I just think is categorically right. false. Well, and like, 
I think it's a situation in which, you know, because this is how kind of like cults and things work. He doesn't have to say the words, go kill them for them to understand that that's what he wants them to do. Yeah. So. I think the one you could maybe make an argument for is uh, Gary Hanman. So he's the one that sort of, I guess, starts things off that maybe they didn't necessarily plan on killing him. Mm -hmm. But, like, Manson was there and, like, cut his ear with a fucking sword. I mean, like you do. Sure. Uh, If you have a sword and there's just an ear sitting there, what's kind of asking for it? I mean, sword is just, I don't know, what is it? Dutch for ear slicer or something like that? (laughs) I think so. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, Yes. That's true. Yeah. So, you know. I have a degree in linguistics. That's true. I also uh, know Dutch. Logical. Um, So maybe that wasn't necessarily planned as like a murder, but I feel like once that happened, like if you buy the copycat diversion motive versus the the helter skelter motive like yeah then obviously the additional murders are planned as like a way to sort of you know take attention off of uh off of beausoleil or you know other stuff but i just thought like it it stuck out as weird because i feel like most of the other analysis is pretty perceptive but that just Mm -hmm. seemed like a a weird misreading yeah Unless there's yeah. something that I'm not getting just because I've, you know, read a ton about that case. Or the... Well, and he also covered it for, like, two pages. Yeah, no, I mean, a more in-depth analysis might have, uh, you know, given given more to that. But yeah, I just flagged that as, like, really? Really? I think I know more about this than you do, bro. Um, so on 146, he's talking about Son of Sam, which I don't think he worked on. I think that would have been too early. But sometimes these are, so some some of these are kind of just like little write-ups about like now that he has this, you know, the art slash science of, of, of profiling worked out, like he goes back and looks at some like famous killers and does little writes about them. And then some of them, especially the ones in the 80s and later, he actually like consulted on. Um, but, um... It's just a weird, a weird thing. Uh, 146, he says, like a number of serial killers, Berkowitz was the product of an adopted family. Which I, is that really a thing? I mean, I guess John Douglas would know better than I would. Yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I feel like that, I, I can't say that I can like recall specific cases I where. I can't think of anyone else. And I also don't remember that ever being really, like, emphasized with Berkowitz stuff that I've seen before. Well, he didn't know about it until he was older. Yeah. And I think that kind of fucked him up. Although, clearly, there's, I mean, there's an underlying issue. Sure. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, that that seems like a, a bold sort of, like, global claim. Yeah. I don't know if it necessarily holds, but he he's not short on analytical confidence, so... Sure. Uh, you know, he's going to put it out there. On 149, he talks about, um, so the he's talking about insights they've gotten from um, talking to Berkowitz and um, how he would go back to crime scene area and to grave sites and uh, like roll around in the dirt and shit. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so in 149, he says, people in law enforcement had always speculated that killers returned to the scenes of their crimes, but couldn't prove it or explain exactly why they did. Um, which, obviously, this is great hindsight for us. Like, now that seems like a given, but at the time they couldn't really prove it or didn't really understand that they were, like, reliving the fantasy. I just don't understand why you wouldn't know that it was reliving the fantasy. Like, why would you go back? Because they didn't why else find would you any go value back? in talking to the killers, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's just insane to me. That they just decide this person's like a wacko or something and they're not going to try to figure out the psychology of it. But that just seems like plainly obvious. Like if this is a major event in your life and something you fantasize about, like why would you not return to it so you could relive that fantasy? Uh, Yeah, no, that's one of of those things where it's like this seems like an obvious insight. Why did it take them so long to get to this kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Well, and the thing with Berkowitz is that Douglas thinks that Berkowitz is not He's not psychotic. He might be mentally ill, but he's not like he thinks that the like letters and the dog and the son of Sam name are basically bullshit. Um, Which is interesting. Yeah. You had one on like 199. 194 is my next one. Okay. I think this is him flashing back to uh, his college years in Montana. I think the context is his mom like randomly asks him at lunch or something like if he's ever had sex with someone. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's thinking back to the good old days when he was uh, having sex with some uh, like teenage girl from an unwed mother's home mm-hmm. when he was in college. Yeah. And like seems to think of it as like funny or acceptable or like just like I don't know. He's like almost like weirdly proud of it, which is like, this is fucked up, dude. So you're probably several years older than this person who is underage and is already in a really bad situation in their life, probably, especially during the time, because this would have been what, like the 60s yeah, when he was in college? I think early 60s. So like probably not a time when, well, I mean, if unwed mother's home still exist, not a time when that would be looked upon particularly positively. So probably just kind of, you know, taking advantage of this person in this situation. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like a boys will be boys kind of moment where he just thinks it's like a funny story to tell people. But also the the larger anecdote about his mom grilling him about whether or not he was a virgin, basically. And yeah. then when he said no, that he'd had sex with multiple women, that yeah. his mom, like, says something like, Oh, who's going to have you as a husband now? Okay. Has that ever been a thing? I don't think that's really a consequence for men generally. No. I mean, he's kind of a male whore, but... That's true. Can't say no. Yep. That's not a good analogy and also offensive. Yep. Um, But he also tries to use the example of that story where his mom, like, totally threw him off with that question... As like an analogy or like an example of like how a good interrogation works. But it's like it doesn't really work in context, if I recall correctly. Like John Douglas, clearly expert in his field, pioneer. Great writer? Not really. No. And he even has 
this other guy, this old shaker, old shocker guy. Yeah, he he would have benefited from a more uh, aggressive editor, possibly. Yeah. Yeah, maybe more in the I. Or if you wrote this in the twenty first century, prune some of this stuff out of there. I think that's true. This is from like ninety five. I think the first printing. And even even then, some of it I think would have been maybe a little bit iffy, but. That is 25 years ago now, though. Yeah. No, I know. In my head, I'm like, 25 years ago, what, uh, 1975? Nope. Nope. Ah, uh, you're old. Nope. Nope. 25 uh, years ago, I was um, uh, in the fifth grade. Old. Whatever. You were in seventh grade. Oldsmobile over there. You're the oldest of mobiles. Cool. <laughs> um, 262 is my next one, so okay. I've, I've got a minute. Um. Okay, so this is, I think this is the same chapter. So in two, on 204, he's talking about um, trying to read people's body language and stuff um, during an interrogation. And, um, and he talks about kind of using, oh, so they did, in season one of the TV series, because we still don't watch season two, um, they do something with like a similar case where they advise the local people to um, get their suspect in and interrogate him um, with like the what they think is the murder weapon like in the room and then kind of start to blame the victim who's this like 12 year old girl sure sure Um, which is fucked up but you know he thinks that's what will work and then it ends up working but so and he, he's talking about like you know their tactics starting to work and on 204 uh, you can often tell you've got the right guy if he shuts up and starts listening intently as you speak an innocent guy will yell and scream and even if a guilty guy yells and screams to make you think he's innocent you can tell the difference which I mean for an experienced interrogator you might be able to tell the difference a lot of the time but like if somebody's a psychopath well yeah i was gonna say there's always that psychopath exception where right. someone can be convincingly cold or hot if as the as the you know situation demands right. or sometimes somebody's just a, like a fucking weirdo and doesn't react in an appropriate way but that doesn't make them guilty yeah um, that's definitely one of the one of the most uncomfortable parts of season one though yeah when he's like really leaning into the like sympathizing with the killer thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that makes you think, what's his name? Holden in this season yeah. is like maybe kind of a psychopath also. Mm-hmm. Cause he's like a little bit too, I guess if you're a psychopath, you can't show true sort of empathy for someone. Right. But right. Uh, he's too, he's too good on the same page yeah. with the guy. Right, he can really for it to himself. feel like this is complete manipulation, like you probably also think stuff like this at least a little bit, potentially, or, or, or you, can approximate or it convincingly. Even if you don't empathize with what you're actually saying, you are willing to go there. Yeah, um, and it doesn't necessarily bother you, although it ends up, you know, catching up to him. Yeah, because he's not an actual psychopath. Sure. But. Sure. So on 242, um, this is later on when they kind of have their own 
like profiling unit that they you know they eventually convinced the FBI to let them have their own unit that's called behavioral sciences and then it, later it's I think it's like the investigative support unit or something like that mm-hmm. um and he just starts to talk about different people um that they brought in that he worked with and he's talking about this dude um who ended up working with on the Atlanta child murders um a guy named Judd Ray uh let's see and and he talks about like why he wanted to recruit him he says but with his military and investigative background not to mention the fact that he was black and at this time the bureau desperately needed to establish itself as an equal opportunity employer he accepted an offer from the fbi which like amused me that like eh, that was a plus because you know he talks about, or especially early on, that even after uh, J. Edgar Hoover died, it was still just like white men for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, just dropping this thing on uh, 259. Um, so he is talking about, uh, let's see. Oh, Robert Hansen, the guy in Alaska who used to like. Like hunting women. Hunt one. women down. Yeah. yeah, super fucked up. But on 259, he just drops in casually. And psychologically speaking, abusing prostitutes is a pretty standard way of getting back at women in general. And like, even if he's not wrong, he's just being. He's pretty, he's pretty he like cavalier. glib about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Like, this is a, a standard kind of thing. Like, I mean, not, not atypical in, in, like, serial killer cases. Like, lots of them, you know, target prostitutes because they're, sure. you know, I mean, easy to pop- access. People don't necessarily yeah. notice them being missing for a number of reasons. Right. Right. It's a transient population. Uh, it feels like a remote sort of target group that people don't have much in common with or much sympathy for in right. a lot the of cases. Right. The media and doesn't, so- like, freak out if you know sex workers start going missing unless it's like a lot of sex workers sure sure and some of them are like white and have nice families right 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 uh so 262 i guess is the next one um i don't remember the exact context of it i just have it written down as behavioral search warrant uh, which I thought was an interesting concept and I didn't mm. even know was necessarily even a thing you could get mm-hmm. that based on like a profile, you could get a search warrant of a suspect yeah. and sell that to a judge and say like this person fits the profile, therefore we should be able to search their their shit. Yeah, uh, I don't... I'm not even sure that that would hold up I, I in mean, a lot again, of cases. This is from 25 years ago, so I don't even... And earlier than that, that he's actually talking about, but I'm not sure that that would even like hold up in court like well i was gonna good, say a good, a good defense, defense attorney, attorney could get that tossed probably like yeah like that's is that truly probable cause and i'm sure it depends on what judge you're presenting it to whether they'll grant you it what just made me a warrant uh, it made me with. think of uh in uh 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 that unabomber miniseries when kaczynski's trying to like push back on the like uh forensic linguistics as uh, a basis for uh, a warrant because uh-huh. that's what they use in the write-up for the warrant for like his cabin where all the evidence is uh-huh. uh this seems like a similarly flimsy kind of thing that you could you could get tossed although i feel like that is more concrete than 
Yeah, but it just it seems similarly removed from profile. the kind of like hard evidence that you usually yeah. need to get a warrant. Because uh, the stuff they had on Kaczynski was like weird turns of phrase and like the stuff with like the um was it like a citation method that was like only used at Harvard during the time that he studied there for like four years. It was like it was a really precise linguistic evidence. Well, it was from it was from his thesis when he was in oh, Michigan, okay. I think. Oh, okay. So it wasn't uh, but yeah, it was like a like less than five years. This was a, a similar style. So uh-huh. like I I I don't doubt that it was like a legitimate way to zero in on this mm-hmm. dude, but I see how someone could come after it. Yeah. Which I think was part of the reason. Well, especially they back then. Tried to get him to plea. Uh because, like, had they gone to court with a good defense attorney, they might have tried to press on that a little bit. But yeah. uh, it just made me sort of think of that, like, hmm, I didn't know you could actually get that Yeah, behavioral search warrant. But I feel like it's probably not very common. Yeah. Because judges would be like, we can't. That's not Well, like, this, this guy may fit this profile, but who else fits this profile? Because a lot right. of those profiles are at least somewhat generic. Right, they're like... It's a white man between 25 and 35. He's kind of a loser. Yep. He hates women. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. Who, who among us does not? Well, fair. Fair. Just some of the stuff I haven't marked in here is just like casual, like sexist bullshit. Sure, sure. Okay, so I, I went on 290. So he's talking about... um This chapter, who killed the all-American girl? What's important is she was hot. Sure. Um, but he is consulting on this, um, and they have a uh, a suspect. I think this was a cold case for a while because they ended up having to like exhume the body and stuff. But they, yeah, he's helping the local police come up with a uh, interrogation strategy. Oh, okay, so. I'll just read you this part on 290. Um, After hearing my impressions, my five visitors seemed to take what I had said to heart. They asked how I could tell all that just by hearing routine details of the case and looking at photographs, crime scene photographs. I'm not sure the answer to that, though. Ann Burgess, can't remember who she is, but someone he works with, has noted that I'm a visual person and like to work first from what I can look at. She says, and it's probably true, that I have a tendency in consultations to say I see rather than I think um, it's pro- probably it's partly because he can't really be on the scene. He's got to recreate the environment in his head. Yeah. Um, but like what I do think is kind of interesting is that I think that in recent years, some of the, like it took people a while to accept profiling as like a legitimate thing. Mm-hmm. But I also think that in recent years they've kind of scaled back on that some because you know, new and weirder murderers keep showing up all the time that don't necessarily fit these patterns. Yeah. But I do think it's clearly true that John Douglas himself is just really, really good at it. Yeah. But I think that there can be a lot of like, you know, people who just don't quite have the knack for it um, who are trying to do it. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But yeah, I think that's, that's part of how he was able to um, establish it within the FBI as a real thing is that he himself is really good at it. Yeah. 
you sort of wonder like how much of that is kind of teachable though right if he's like a singular talent then like how do you sort of pass this on and there are some principles and things that you can use probably but when he says it's both an art and a science it's like you can kind of teach the science parts like here's the statistics these types of um offenders tend to commit these types of crimes here's the psychological info but then there's the you just have to have a feeling and fill in the blanks and have that creative part of your mind that can like write the story yeah and um some people are better that at that than others i'm sure uh so 297 is my next one it might be what i have marked on 297 um, so I think, I think he's taught, is this, he's like discussing a victim uh-huh. and talking about her personal history. Yeah. It's the same woman. It's the and same case. so he'll go through and talk about like what this person's, um, I don't know what their work history was like, what their family was like, um, you know, drug use or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, as I recall from the note, my, my note just says birth control akin to drugs. Where he's like listing it as mm-hmm. if it's like a like a drug of abuse that you use instead of just like a normal thing that like most people would use, mm-hmm. uh, and it's almost like it's like a mark against her record or it makes her like a higher risk person somehow because she's using birth control. Yes, because the victim was from like a really religious family. Yeah, and um, she maybe she wasn't dating anyone or anything. Or whatever. Um, but she's on the pill, so she's DTF, obviously. Well, no, on 297, it says, No one suggested any kind of illicit behavior or hanging around with the, quote, wrong kind. No drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, or birth control pills were in her apartment. And um, her parents were sure she was a virgin, so cool story. So that makes her a legitimate victim? Right. Instead of, a, fe- also, instead of a, a female whore? Birth control pills, LOL. Yeah. That's that 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 kind of dates him a little bit. That that's like a big noteworthy kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, bro. Oh, three forty two. He talks about putting a case onto uh, unsolved mysteries, and I believe it was a story that I um, recognize because early nineties, and like that. Um, oh, they didn't actually get neat. They got like leads but none of them turned into anything but just, that's just like a very like of the time kind of thing to do yeah oh okay so 349 is kind of a an interesting little story um so they are staking out this victim's grave thinking that like they it was this girl who was murdered who um like the murderer kept calling the family and like was like psychologically trying to fuck with like her sister. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of used the sister a little bit as bait. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Oh, I'm leaving this thing at her grave and we're going to have this big memorial event there, blah, blah, blah. And so they thought that the murderer would show up at the grave to like take it or see it or whatever afterwards. Yeah. Um, and they were staking it out and some dude was in the cemetery, like, crying, saying, like, I didn't mean it. But it turns out it wasn't their perpetrator. It was another dude. Um, let's see, 349. Turns out that the, 
buried next to Mary Kellerman is the victim of an unsolved automobile hit and run and her unwitting killer has come back to confess his crime. So just like they happened to be staking out that cemetery the night that this other guy came back to the grave of like someone he had ac- presumably accidentally killed. It's convenient. Um, which is wild. But that also shows you like it seems like a trope in like on TV that people do that. But yeah. apparently people really do that. David Berkowitz did it too. 365 was my next one. Go for it. Um, I think if I'm remembering correctly, this is talking about like uh, either guys who were in prison and were paroled or people who were on the outside and who were in counseling uh, and then had like psychiatrists sort of report on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was talking about the idea of like people being in like counseling and therapy uh, and seeming normal and seeming like they were making progress and getting like good reports from their psychiatrists and yeah. then going on to do like sort of awful stuff after the fact. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think about the like relative futility of like self-reporting in situations like that, uh, especially yeah. if you're dealing with like psychopaths because mm-hmm. they're just going to say exactly what you want them to say. Or even I feel like, I don't know, in my limited like therapy experience, I feel like I, you know, you downplay stuff, right? Yeah. Like you're doing better than yeah. you normally are because yeah. you want to, you know, please people. Yeah. Uh, and so like there's something just automatically kind of flawed about that as an approach. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's, there's anything, you know, a way around that because you're relying on someone talking about their own experience and it's naturally going through that filter regardless. But if you're using that to evaluate like this person's worthy of parole or this person mm-hmm. is fine or doesn't need further observation or is, you know gotten out of their deviant mindset or whatever like you can't trust that at all well and he was also talking about it in the context of a um like a prison psychologist or psychiatrist not sure which but um who would not look into the records of his patients oh in terms of like what crimes they were actually right. in there for so or whatever like testify in front of parole boards and talk about their progress without even knowing what they had done yeah and like you know like douglas kind of reamed him out like they can so easy like how can you tell that they are better if you don't even know what they've what done? the starting point was yeah right like they can be telling you anything right right um so in 368 this is kind of a continuation of that he says um as far as like evaluating whether someone should be released or is rehabilitated or whatever um yeah 368 i think we have to deal with a more basic concept and that is dangerousness like you can't yeah just trust what they say they feel or or progress they may have made like is this person likely to reoffend? yeah and especially with like the serial like offenders that he's dealing with in these books in this book like they're gonna do it again yeah they can't stop they don't want to some of although it is interesting when he talks about he does talk about like kind of liking ed kemper and how ed kemper basically kind of wanted to stop yeah or wanted to be stopped because he turns himself in yeah but i think that that's not that common yeah I mean, I think some people want to be recognized yeah. and that's what ultimately gets them caught, but they don't necessarily yeah. want to be caught. They just want to be appreciated. Right. Like BTK. Yeah. 
dumbass. Just like, see how smart I am, see how awesome I, awesome I am, etc. Fucking floppy disks. Uh, 388 is my last one. Go for it. Uh, I think he's talking about the the sort of disparity between like male and female serial killers mm-hmm. or why men tend to be serial killers more. Uh, and he makes the argument that women tend to punish themselves and not other people, that men sort of take out their shit on other people. So whatever their complexes are, whatever sort of mm-hmm. I don't know, things they've had in life, they tend to take it out on other people. Yeah. And women direct are more prone to like self-harm or something. Yeah. And so that's why there are more sort of male serial offenders, I guess. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting point. I'm not necessarily sure that I completely believe it, but... I think I think that there is definitely an element of, of that, like at least in the socialization. Like women are not... A, like we're taught not to be angry or to yeah. express anger and so that often gets turned inward and comes out in like um self-destructive behaviors and such yeah um and possibly might be one reason for like higher levels of like depression and other mental illness in women um so i think that that could be part of it but i think it's also like there's a lot of factors and in a patriarchal society, it's hard to uh, unravel them yeah. separately. Yeah. Because they're all kind of tied up in, in that. Yeah, that's all I got. Um, my la- the last thing's on 408. Um, he says, uh, 25 years of observation has also told me that criminals are more made than born which means that somewhere along the line someone who provided a profound negative influence could have provided a proud, profound positive one instead um, and he thinks we need more love in this world which in the context especially of that um, psychopath inside book that we read yeah I think that's really interesting because dude whatever his name was doctor whoever who wrote it who basically identifies himself as as being a psychopath, like a non a nonviolent, um, not antisocial psychopath. Basically, that's his conclusion that there's this kind of, in some cases, a genetic basis or like a way that your brain is formed or functions that may make you predisposed to certain behaviors. Mm-hmm. And that, but because in his case, he grew up in this like loving home and was never abused and all this stuff, like, you know, he's a dick, but he doesn't want to hurt people. So I, you know, I think there is something to that. Yeah. I mean, it's just a nature versus nurture argument. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably true to some extent, but I feel like some people are just kind of wired a certain way. Yeah. Uh, and maybe even independent of any, like, environmental influences will go on to do bad things. I would say the vast majority of people who kill another person, though. Um, well, I mean, stuff has to happen on the way to get right. there, though. Yeah. Shit, shit's happened to them. Shit's happened to them. Uh, it was an all right book. Yeah. It was. Um, it was not as good as I hoped it would be the tv series is so good yeah 
um, that clearly is just kind of inspired by the background material here. It's fine, but it's a it is a little outdated, and it's like he's very much of his his time and like thinks that he's the shit. Yeah, I think if you could strip out those elements, it would be a lot better. Yeah. That you could make a nice tight like I don't know three hundred page book out of this. Yeah, it is like four hundred pages instead it's, of it being four hundred. If you edited out some of his like old manisms, it's a large print, but it is like yeah, like four hundred pages. Yeah. But you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. We read it. Yep. Talked about it eventually. Finally. Um, our next read will be like a hate read, I guess. Are we doing tech war or? I, we haven't decided. Okay. It'll be something. There, there are some options. Yeah, we have a few options. Got that Jim Morrison poetry book. Jesus. I don't know if I can do that. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Sometime. We'll see. Yes. So we will have a shit book. Um, we're spending a lot of time at home, so maybe we'll get some more podcast in depth this year. We'll see. I haven't gotten any traumatic brain injuries yet in 2020 so fingers crossed any parting thoughts for the people yeah i got nothing you got nothing all right friends um thanks for listening um you know how to get in touch with us i guess i usually don't know how to end it that's normal it can just stop doesn't have to have a fancy (laughs) ending Stay sexy and keep reading books. Never mind. <laughs>